Well, this morning, there are going to be two things that uh, we're going to be doing this morning. One is, we're going to finish up the message I started last week but ran out of time. (laughs) So, we're going to do that this morning. And secondly, what we're going to be doing this morning is finishing up the book of Genesis. Uh, Because next week, we are going to start a new book of the Bible, and that is the book of Galatians. And so we are going to be continuing on our theme this year at Summit Ridge, which is the theme of a new beginning. And uh, that's why we started here with the book of Galatians. It's kind of a book or a story of a beginning as well as a new beginning. And then Galatians, which Pastor Eric will start us off next week on that, is all about kind of having this new beginning or new freedom in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to start that next week. But today we're going to finish up what I started last week as we were looking at the life of Joseph. I remember as I shared last week, the life of Joseph, this is a gentleman who by all means um, is not the most you know, popular character in the book of Genesis. And yet more time, as I shared last week, is spent on Joseph than any other person that we looked at in the book of Genesis. As I said last week, about 25% of the book of Genesis is on Joseph and his life. And if you remember what I shared last week, and I understand I have to share just a quick reminder because as I've shared before, you know, when a pastor preaches, typically by Sunday afternoon we have forgotten a good deal of what he or she said, but by Wednesday you have pretty much forgotten it all. And that's okay. It's not to me that you have to answer, it's Jesus. So... Uh, you know, I, it's all right. I'm not the ultimate judge. I don't sit on that throne. Thank goodness. Um, it's, it's Jesus. So anyways, now you're like, oh, I'm going to take, I'm going to take notes today. Oh, I'm going to sit I'm going to do that today. Holy cow. I want to remember, right? I'm going to take photographs too and stuff like that. Um, remember we looked at Joseph's life last week and specifically we looked at two things that marked, in many ways, Joseph's life. And remember what is so unique about Joseph's life is it's this, is that here was a a guy who, by all accounts, was a normal, everyday guy, and yet his life was anything other than normal, in what ways that we might think are normal. But more than that, what is so interesting about Joseph, and that I think is so relevant for us today, is that his life was a life dedicated to God and that it is interesting to see what a life dedicated to God might look like and therefore a life of our own in which we might dedicate our lives to Jesus Christ might also look like. Remember, all the way up until this point we got to Joseph, remember there were just many examples of people in which God came to them beginning with Abraham and said, I will make you, I will bless you and make you a blessing. And yet we see time and time again these individuals, for one reason or another, not kind of fully live into that reality. And then all of a sudden we come to Joseph and we kind of ask the question, what would a life look like if we were to take seriously this idea that God has called us to bless us and to be a blessing to others? What kind of life might it look like if we were serious about following God? And for us today, what might our life look like if we were serious about following Jesus Christ? And I hope that two things come out of this. One is that it is possible to live that kind of life. You don't have to be Jesus. Okay? That doesn't mean you don't have to be perfect. 
Joseph wasn't perfect. And although we don't see anything in the stories of Joseph that talk about anything that he did wrong, we know that he had to have done things wrong. We have to know that he was not perfect. He was not God. He was not Jesus. However, the fact that he lived his life so honorably is worthy of knowing. And that's what I think the author of Genesis is trying to highlight here. So it is possible for you and I to live a life that is fully dedicated to Jesus Christ and yet be imperfect. And yet not have it all together. Joseph was that kind of person, I believe. Joseph didn't have it all together, and yet we still see what kind of life it was for him to be fully dedicated to God and what it might look like for us today to live our lives fully dedicated to Jesus Christ. And we saw two things last week. One was this. You and I, if we fully dedicate our lives to Jesus Christ, most likely, not always, you and I most likely will be hated for telling the truth. Right? We will not be popular. We will not be the ones who will necessarily be liked. And I don't know about you, but I want to be liked. Oh, I want to be liked. If I am truly honest with you, I want to be liked. Absolutely liked. It's, it's just what it is. And I think for many of us, I think there is that aspect that we want to be liked by others, right? If we're truly honest. There might be some that say, I don't care what anybody else thinks, but really, even those people, they really do in some ways care, right? That we understand that we just want to be liked by others. And yet, as followers of Jesus, we most likely will be hated because we will tell the truth. And we will stand oftentimes in doing so as simply a few doing it in a sea of many who will reject it. Okay? That was one. We saw that through the life of Joseph. Here's the second one that we saw through the life of Joseph. Is that you and I will most likely be treated unjustly for doing what is right. That you and I, as Joseph was, will be treated unjustly for doing what is right. That there are situations that you and I may find ourselves in in which we know that we are going to have to do what is right. And that, what I mean is, in accordance to what God has said through His Word, and we know that in doing that, most likely, we might face, at the very least, criticism, ridicule, and maybe at the most, perhaps losing our jobs, perhaps losing a relationship, or even worse, perhaps maybe even losing our life as so many Christians around the world do, for doing what is right and yet being treated unjustly for it. In other words, let me, I hope you're seeing this, is that we live in a world that is broken, that has turned itself away from God, and as a result, those of us who have turned ourselves back to Him, all of a sudden might find ourselves swimming upstream. And if you have come to the conclusion, for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, that following Jesus Christ is not easy, you're right. If 
you have ever, if you've come to the point in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ and you have said, man, following Jesus may be simple, but it is really, really hard at times, you're right. You're absolutely right. And so what we're seeing here through the life of Joseph are things that are not easy. Well, today there are two more things I want us to see that I think are traits of Joseph's life and as a, such can be traits of our own life as we follow Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be looking only at two chapters today. I tried five last week. That failed miserably. Five chapters. I mean, my, the people in the back were like 153 slides. That's how many there were. 153 slides. You're going to get through them? Not a chance. I think they were placing wagers back there. Betting in the church. Money changers in the temple. Right here, folks. Why don't we just have a bake sale? Oops. That's not what that means. But anyways, right? Anyways, sinning going on right here in the midst of worship. We are so broken, people. Let's pray for all of them in the back. Unseen, but heard. (laughs) And there are innocent ones back there who have no business a part of what I've just looped them into, so I pray for them as well, and I'm sorry. Anywho, um, <laughs> let's take a look. Oh, Jesus, we are so in need of you. Um, let's take a look at the last two traits of Joseph's life. Joseph's life. Excuse me, I keep saying that. I keep messing that up, and I'm sure some of you have caught that. I get so excited, I sometimes trip up over my own words, and that happens. I need to slow down sometimes, but I get so excited. Here's the thing. This is the next trait I want us to see in Joseph's life that I think is also a possibility for our own lives, and it's this. You and I may be forgotten by others, but God won't forget you. Let me say that again. You may be forgotten by others, but God won't forget you. Let's take a look at a specific point in Joseph's life where I think this principle is true, or was true. We're going to start at Genesis chapter 40, begin with verse 1. And remember at this point, Joseph was 17 when we first are introduced to him. He has these dreams in which he shares with his brother and his family about his whole family going to be bowing down to him. And already he was already hated by his brothers because he gave bad reports about them to his father. And not only that, he was his father's favorite son, and given a coat of many colors, a tunic, if you will, that was shown to say to them that not only was he a favorite son of Jacob's, but not only that, he was now management. He was now had some responsibility and authority over them. And I don't know about you, but I am the oldest sibling in my family. And I'll be honest with you, there is no way I would have ever accepted my brother and my sister having authority over me. Not a chance. And so already there is this conflict. Joseph is sold into slavery. He winds up in a house of a military leader by the name of Potiphar, in which he shows that he is an able person of administrating his affairs, and Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire household. So much so that Potiphar, as the Scriptures told us last week, that he didn't have to worry about anything except what he was going to eat that day. I mean... Talk about no worries. He trusted Joseph to such an extent that his only worry was, well, what am I going to have for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? 
That was it. However, in the course of this, obviously Potiphar's wife makes an advance towards Joseph. Joseph keeps rebuking her, but finally uh, there was a situation in which she tries to once again uh, come at him and he eventually runs off. The wife makes up a story as to what happens. Potiphar, instead of killing him, which he could have easily had done, he instead throws him into prison, most likely one of the prisons that he himself would, was administrating, and has him thrown in there. And now we pick it up where Joseph now is in prison in Egypt. He is far from home. He is now once again experiencing hardship. And here's where we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 40. Then it came about, after these things, the things I just told you about, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Then the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in, the, in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? And they said to him, we have had a dream and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So you understand the situation. Joseph is in prison. Joseph is, as he once shown himself an able administrator to Potiphar, has now shown himself an able administrator to the head of the prison. And now, all of a sudden, now he's kind of put in charge of caring for the prisoners. And not only that, this, this gift he has of being able to interpret dreams is now going to come in handy as now he has now encountered two high-level officials in Pharaoh's own court, a cupbearer and a baker. By the way, most likely as a cupbearer, there was no, very few, if any, closer position that one would have of responsibility than that of a cupbearer. Your main responsibility was to protect Pharaoh in many ways. You brought Pharaoh his food. But more than that, you tested his food before it was brought to Pharaoh. Because if anybody wanted to take Pharaoh out, one way that they could do that would obviously be to compromise the food he was eating, i.e. poison it. And more than likely, as a way of protection, Pharaoh would have this person be the one to test the food before it be brought to him. Bummer of a job. But someone had to do it. This gentleman did it. So the person in this position had to have the utmost trust of the Pharaoh in order to have this position. You would not just have anybody being the one testing your food because the one who could be testing your food could also be the one who could poison it. Right? And so all of a sudden now, we see these two people, and of course the chief baker, one who prepared Pharaoh's food, was also an incredibly important position. So these two high-level ranking people in Pharaoh's court, Joseph encounters them. And more than that, they've each had a dream. And more than that, Joseph is able to interpret that dream. Coincidence? I think not. Right? And so here it is. Verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. 
And on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three days, more days rather, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your formal custom when you were his cupbearer. Only, he says this, this is interesting, verse 14, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Right? He wants to get out of prison. Can anybody blame him? So here he is given a favorable interpretation of a dream to Pharaoh's cupbearer, a high-ranking official in Pharaoh, someone who would have influence with the Pharaoh. And Joseph says, hey, by the way, remember me. Tell Pharaoh about me and get me out of here. For in fact, I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Interesting play on words, don't you think? First it's a house, now it's a dungeon, right? Either way, it was a place he didn't want to be. Verse 16, when the chief baker saw that he interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, ha, I also have had a dream. And behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some of all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. And the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. Wonderful dream, he's probably thinking. The cupbearer got a favorable interpretation. Maybe I'm going to get a favorable interpretation. Uh, and then Pharaoh, or, and then Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are the three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat your flesh off you. Really? The cupbearer lives, but I die? I mean, you could almost just see and imagine. Here he was excited because he had heard about the cupbearer's favorable interpretation of his dream. And he thought, yes, it's going to be similar for me. And instead he gets this. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. Oh, that's why. Right? That he made a feast for all his servants and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. And then here's how it ends. Yet, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. I don't know how, but he did. Maybe it was in the exuberance of the celebration. Maybe it was in the fact that he finally got restored and his life was spared. Who knows why? But the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. Let me say this. What I think is so relevant for us today as followers of Jesus. There may be things that you and I do things that you and I do for others, things you and I will do in the name of Jesus. Maybe we will share the gospel. Maybe we will serve people in some way, somewhere, somehow. And in the end of it, they may forget or not even remember or not even realize the fact that you and I were the ones who helped 
them or served them or shared the Gospel with them. There are things that you and I may do in the name of Jesus that are really good things. We may feed people. We may clothe the naked. We may help those who are poor and homeless. We may help those who have faced devastation. We may pray for those who were ill but now have been healed. We may do all these things and at the end of the day, they may forget about what we had done for them. Maybe you have already experienced that already. That there are things that you have done for others and they have simply forgotten about it. Right? Does that hurt? Does that sting a little bit? It does. It does. But let me say this. When we are faced with those kinds of situations, even when we are faced even more than that, when others maybe have left us, maybe because of things that we have told them was the truth, but they rejected it, or things that maybe we have done that was right, but we are treated unjustly for it, those kinds of things here, that maybe there are people that have no longer have contact with us, people that have gone away for one reason or another, and it hurts and we are no longer a part of their lives, and it hurts us to no longer be a part of their lives. In many ways, we are forgotten by them. In those times, it is so important to remember this. Although we may be forgotten by them, we will never be forgotten by God. That although we may have been forgotten by others that maybe we have loved, maybe that we have served, maybe that we have helped, we will never be Forgotten by God. Period. Amen? Never will we be forgotten by God. And this is so important to remember. This is so important for us to realize. Because this is something that we all will face if we haven't faced already. That at the end of the day, we never want to be forgotten, do we? I mean, this is what we think about. We think about this idea of legacy. Do you know what legacy is? Legacy is wanting and desiring to make sure that our lives were lived on purpose, that our lives had a purpose, that our lives had meaning, that when one day we leave this earth, when we are no longer taking in breath, when our hearts are no longer beating, we know that once we are buried and gone, at least we want to remember, at the very least, that we will be remembered for something that we have done, something of significance that others will look back on and say, yeah. And the reality is that may not always be the case. Especially for followers of Jesus. And that is so hard. Joseph did a good thing here. He interpreted favorably a dream that a cupbearer had and all he asked for in return was, please remember me. And the cupbearer forgot him. The cupbearer forgot him. There are things that we will do that will not be remembered and it will hurt that what we think we are creating a life of legacy may not indeed be the kind of life of legacy we were hoping for. That there will be times when we will be forgotten. We will be forgotten. Perhaps even after we're dead, several years, who knows how many years gone, that at one point we may be forgotten. But the reality is, and the truth here is, is that when that day happens, it's okay. God will never forget us. Ever. Will never forget us. I love what Psalm 103, verses 13 through 14 says. He says this, Just as a father has compassion on his children, 
So the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. He Himself knows our frame. And He is mindful that we are but dust. In other words, although we are simply dust in this world, to Him we are precious. Although we may be simply temporary here in this world, to Him we will never be forgotten. I love that scene when Jesus is hanging on the cross. And remember, treated completely unjustly for doing what was right. Jesus only shared the truth and He was hated for it. Jesus healed people on the Sabbath and religious leaders wanted to kill Him for it. For healing people. For doing good on a day that people thought you should never do good on on this day. And all of a sudden now He is hanging on a cross. By the way, not for His sins, but for ours. Unjustly. He's hanging on the cross there and beside Him on His right and on His left are two criminals. You, you remember the scene? We're going we're gonna to look at this scene on Good Friday. And He's hanging there between two criminals. And one criminal, I mean, unbelievable, He is taunting Jesus. Seriously? A criminal taunting the Son of God who's on the cross for His sins. Taunting Him. And the other one, though, has a totally different response. And he says simply to Jesus, remember me as you go into your Father's house. Don't forget about me. Please. The rest of the world has tossed me aside. The rest of the world has given up on me. Jesus, don't do the same. Jesus, remember me when you go into your Father's house. And what does Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in what? Paradise. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that I serve a Lord who not only knows me, created me, but when it comes time to see Him face to face, He will not forget me. Others will, but He won't. Others will, but He will never forget me and He will never forget you. At the end of the day, when everyone else may not remember everything that you have done, everything that you have said, Jesus will. And that's what really matters. That's what really matters. I love what Billy Graham says about legacy. And he says this about legacy. He says the greatest legacy that one can pass onto one's children and grandchildren is not money. Don't worry about that for me and my kids. You won't have any. Or other material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. Do you know what is special about those two things, character and faith? The one who had them can be easily forgotten. But the faith and the character by which one had in relation to why would never be forgotten. And that is because of Jesus Christ. In other words, what Billy Graham, I believe, is saying there is the greatest legacy one can leave to their children is the one that says, believe in Jesus. The one that says, put your faith in Jesus. The one that says, live for Jesus. The one that says, dedicate your life to living for Jesus. That's the greatest legacy. John Maxwell 
says this, if you are successful, it becomes possible for you to leave an inheritance for others. But if you desire to create a legacy, then you need to leave something in others. I love that. Not for, but in others. When you think unselfishly and invest in others, you gain the opportunity to create a legacy that will outlive you. I love that. As followers of Jesus Christ, do you know why we invest in others? It's because we want to leave a legacy, not of our own, but that of Jesus Christ. We want to leave a legacy that says at the end of the day, when that individual whom we invested in looks back and doesn't see us, but rather sees who? Jesus. Now that's a legacy. That's a legacy that we have to be willing to risk that at the end of the day we may be forgotten, but the most important thing is God will never forget us. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to live a life that we need to be okay with that. Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about whether or not you and I will be remembered. It's about whether or not Jesus Christ will be remembered in the lives that we lived. That at the end of the day, when we are up here and now having a, a memorial service in which maybe I'm going to be officiating at, maybe not, and stand up here and people share stories about you, what will those stories be? What will they share? Some of the best memorial services I've been a part of and that I have attended are stories in which people whom we are celebrating and remembering, the stories that are shared are not just about them, but rather about Jesus whom they served. And the stories that these people share about the fact of how much they were impacted by the lives that these people lived because they now know Jesus. Because now they follow Jesus. Because now they love Jesus. That's a life of legacy. And by the way, you don't have to be rich to have that kind of legacy. You don't have to be the smartest person on the planet to have that kind of legacy. You don't have to have any of the things that we think of in order to have a legacy. No, no, no. You can just simply invest in others. There are some of you here today, many of you here today, who are inspirations to me simply because of the lives you live. Because it's in such a way that you know it's not about you, it's about how you live and invest in others. That you spend your time just investing in others and trying to show them Jesus Christ. I can't help to think that that's what Joseph was doing at the end, is the fact that he was living in such a way so that it wasn't about him, but rather it was about the God whom he served. That is what really, I think, makes a significant life. A life in which we invest in others, not so that they remember us, but so that they see Jesus and know him. Amen? All right, here's the second one. Your success in life is not your success, but God's success. Let me say that again. Your success in life is not your success, but God's success. Now we pick it up in chapter 41 of Genesis and it says this. Now it happened 
at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. In other words, Joseph was in prison for an additional two years, all because the cupbearer forgot him. Two more years. All right? And lo, from the Nile, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt, and they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. Let me just say something about these dreams. These are really whacked. Did anybody notice that? These are really weird dreams. Does anybody have any dreams like something like this? Would you admit it if you did? Okay, forget it. All right? The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke, you think? He fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning, his spirit was troubled, do you think? Now in the morning, and so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Oh, now we come to the next verse. Verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, Ah, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants and put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker. We had a dream on the same night. He and I, each of us, dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, a Hebrew youth was there with us, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard. And he related to them, to, to them, or to him rather, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. Then Pharaoh finally calls for Joseph. Calls for Joseph. And Joseph gets himself cleaned up. By this point, he's probably let his hair grow, beard, the whole thing. He gets cleaned up, and we pick it up in verse 15. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it. And I've had heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now get what Joseph says here in verse 16. And this has marked Joseph's life from the time we got introduced to him till this time now. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, It is not me, but who? God. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This is the favorable answer. Joseph says to Pharaoh, the interpretation of the dream, there's going to be seven years of absolute, incredible amount of yielding of crops. It's going to be a year of plenty, seven years of plenty. And then there's going to be seven years of famine. So guess what? You better use the seven years of plenty that you have to prepare for the seven years of famine. Pharaoh is impressed by Joseph. Pharaoh makes Joseph prime minister of Egypt and says, okay, Joseph, you're in charge. Get us ready for the seven years of famine. And Joseph now is gone from prison to now second in command in Egypt in a very short amount of time. All in the way of helping to prepare Egypt for the seven years of famine that are to come. And the whole time, Joseph has said to the cupbearer and the baker when he interpreted their dreams, as he said to Pharaoh, God does it, not me. 
God is responsible for this, not me. And Joseph, not only does it this time, in those two instances, but he does it two additional times, saying that God is responsible. The other time is before his brothers. In Genesis 45, verses 4 through 7, he says the following. Then Joseph said to his brothers, after, by the way, he brings his whole family, he finally reveals himself to his brothers about who he really is after his brothers have come to Egypt during the time of famine to get food. He says this to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Get this. He is speaking Egyptian the entire time. He is perceived as the, obviously he's the prime minister of Egypt. He is dressed in Egyptian garb. His brothers don't recognize him, but he recognizes who they are. And this whole thing goes out and now they are scared. Understandably so. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God, do you see this again? For God sent me before you to preserve life. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. He gives God the credit once again. He does it again after their father has died. And verses 19 through 20 of Genesis chapter 50, he says this again to his brothers. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. For I am, for am I in God's place? As for you, and I love that, do not be afraid. For I am, am I in God's place? What that means is, am I judge? Am I the one who's supposed to dole out judgment on you? Absolutely not. And he goes on and says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? Good. How many of us have heard that passage, that verse? Yeah. Probably one of the most famous passages out of Genesis. In order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. And not only that, does he do it in front of his brothers, but he also does it as he is naming his sons. He has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it says here in Genesis chapter 41, verses 50 through 52, he says this as he's naming his sons. He says, now before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, whom an Asnesis, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, What? God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of what? My affliction. Do you see the pattern here in Joseph's life? The things that have happened to him, whether they have been good or bad, he gives God the credit. He says God is the one who did all this. God is the one who provided for me in the midst of my affliction. God is the one who made me forget about my troubles. God is the one who will interpret the dreams for you, not me. I am just a normal person. I have no special gifts or ability outside of what God has allowed me to have. And it is for His glory, not for mine. Do you see that this is his pattern all the way through his life as he gives God the credit and acknowledges that it's because of God that I am where I am today. Period. Now, I think there's a couple of things I think that are really interesting to keep in mind about this whole thing. Is that for us as followers of Jesus Christ, 
do we give God the credit? Do we give Jesus the credit for the things in our life and for where we are today? The success. The things that we have experienced. Do we come back and we say, Jesus, thank you so much for allowing me to be where I am today. Thank you, Jesus, so much for providing for me. Thank you so much, Jesus, for giving me the skills, the ability, whatever it is, to do what I'm able to do. Thank you, Jesus, for the opportunity it is to minister on your behalf, to serve others, and in doing so, not that it's about me, but Jesus, it is about you. Do we give Jesus the credit? There are also a couple of things to also, I think, realize about this whole thing. And it's this. While we may know God's promises, we may not yet be ready to receive them. What I find so interesting about Joseph's life is that he was 17 years old when he had these dreams that his family was going to bow down to him. Now, how many of you think a 17-year-old is ready to rule? I mean, honestly. How many of you parents are thinking, you know what, my 17-year-old is ready to run the house? Okay. Maybe we're unanimous on that, right? How many of you 17-year-olds think you're ready to run the house? Yeah, you're not going to raise your hand even if you believe it, right? I mean, here's the thing. Joseph was told these dreams. He was told that one day his family will bow down to him, but it wasn't going to be anytime soon. Do you realize by this point, Joseph is at least in his 30s. By the time his family comes to him, by the time what he was showed at age 17 finally now is happening at age in his 30s. In other words, what had to happen to Joseph in order for that to become true? God was going to have to do some work in his life, was going to have to prepare him to receive the promises that God wanted to give him at the beginning when he was 17 years old. Let me just say this to you and I today. We know many of the promises of God. Here is the problem I think we as followers of Jesus have with that. We want those promises now. We want them now. And the problem with that is that you and I may not be ready to receive those promises yet. He's got to do a little work in our lives. And that work is hard. Think of Joseph. Prison. Sold into slavery. All of those things. The whole time, he was being prepared to receive the promise that God had shown him at age 17. Period. Let me just tell you something. I, I know a little bit something about this a little bit. I had always wanted to be a senior pastor. I'd always wanted to be a pastor. But I started out as a janitor in a church. I loved it, by the way. I was in high school. I got to be a janitor in my own church. I thought that was the coolest thing. I was making four twenty-five an hour. That was minimum wage. I can say that now. Four twenty-five an hour. No, actually, that's not true. That was minimum wage. I was making $5 an hour. The church paid me more than minimum wage. And I got to clean the church for a living. I would be the one on Sunday mornings, I kid you not, to get there at 6.30. I'd be the one to turn on all the lights. I would start the coffee. And it was a big church. Big church building. One of a, like a historical church building. You know, we had, you know, five, six hundred people, more than that kind of thing. It was a big, big church. I got to do all that. Started out as a janitor. I loved it. I had a big buffing machine. I would go out and buff the tile and all that kind of stuff. And I loved it. I'd go out and, you know, shovel the snow and put rock salt out and all that kind of stuff. It was fantastic. I loved it. And I got to go on the youth trips and they were paid for for me. But I always wanted to be a pastor. 
And I, I just wanted to even be, hopefully, someday a senior pastor. And I just remember God telling me, no, not yet, no, not yet, no, not yet. And I'll never forget the day when two separate ladies in my church in Wisconsin came up to me at two separate times, and I don't think they knew that they, either one was doing this. It was in Wisconsin before I even entertained the thought of even coming here. And each one of them separately came up to me and said, you're ready. They had no clue what I was that was my desire. They had no clue that that was it. But they just simply came up to me and said, you're ready. It was years. 16 years of age to 32. Right? I mean, it takes time. There are things in our lives we have to realize that although we know the promises of God, we may not be ready yet to receive all of the promises of God. God has to do a work in our life to get us ready to receive that. And it isn't always a joyful kind of work. It's hard. But Joseph kept his head up. He never once cursed God. Instead, he gave God all the credit. Here's the second thing. God may put you and I in situations that may be hard, but are not, or no less, opportunities for us to be formed more into his image, to be made ready to receive those promises, and to bring light to hard and dark places. You know, the wonderful thing about Joseph's life is that he was able to bring light to places that didn't probably know God even existed. Into Pharaoh's own house in presence. Into some pretty influential people. The whole point of Pharaoh's dream wasn't that, or of Joseph's dream, wasn't that Joseph was going to be glorified. It was to save his family. And he could only have realized that after going through the experiences he went through. And to realize, oh, that's why my family will bow down to me. It's not to praise me. It's so that they can be saved. They can be spared. You and I may be put in tough situations where we're going to be formed, but even more than that, where we can bring the light of Jesus Christ to dark places. Jesus doesn't call us to where light is already shining. He calls us to places where the light hasn't yet shown, but needs to. So you may be facing a situation right now in your own life. Maybe you're in a tough relationship, friendship, maybe a family relationship. You may be in a tough work environment and you are asking yourself, God, why, why am I here? Why did you put me here? Why, am I, why can't I get out of this? Maybe one reason, I don't know, but maybe one big reason why, he wants you to shine a little bit of light in that. He wants you to shine a little bit of light in that person's life, your boss's life, your supervisor's life, your co-worker's life, your family member's life, your friend's life. I don't know what it is, but maybe there. And in the process, forming you even more to receive what he wants to give to you down the road. Here's one promise that I love. Philippians 1.6. It says this. The work that God started in us he will see it to completion. It is going to be finished. Where and who we are today, we only have glimpses of what that looks like to be a part of Jesus. There will come a day when we will see who we are fully in Jesus Christ and what a day that will be. But until that point, we are being formed and we are being worked on. But God will see that work to full completion. Don't give up. This is a hard life. But this is Jesus' life. That's the vision. 
The kind of life that Jesus wants you and I to live is his life, not our own. And it's a tough life, but I am so grateful for his Holy Spirit, the great counselor who will lead us and guide us. Amen? Amen. Let's spend some time in prayer this morning. Father, I am so grateful that you have called us to a life that is much larger than ourselves. This life that we've looked at today and this life of Joseph, Jesus, this isn't an easy life. It is a hard life. It is a difficult life. It is a scary life, Jesus. And yet I pray for every single one of us who call you, Jesus, Lord and Savior, who have committed ourselves to you, that you would help us to stay committed to that kind of life, your life, Jesus, and that through the empowerment of your spirit, that we would know and take comfort that the work you are doing in our lives right now, you will see to completion. That wherever we may be, maybe we are having a Joseph kind of experience. We are in sort of a prison right now. We are in a tough situation at work. We are in a tough situation relationally with others. Whatever it may be, Jesus, I pray that we would know this. You have not forgotten about us and that you are preparing us for promises that you want to give us. But until that point, Jesus, may we bring light into dark places. May we bring light into dark places. And in the end, Jesus, may it be you who is remembered, may it be you who is glorified, and may it be you who is followed. Because it's all about you. It's your name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.